turn on my mic. Good morning. And welcome to First Baptist Church of Lawrence, Kansas. We are in this new place where we get to welcome two congregations, the people that I see in front of me and the people watching virtually at home. So know that you are, wherever you are, we are excited that you are here today celebrating with us. We have a baptism today to celebrate and so many other things in store. For the people at home, if you would like to light a candle with me in a moment to symbolize and remind us all that no matter where you are, Christ is present, lighting our way for us, you can do that. I also just like a couple of logistics for the people in the room. I want to remind you that we are on a delay. So you see stuff on the screen, and it's a little bit behind. And everybody's like at home is like, why are you laughing? So there are screens up there that are a second behind. So when my arms are up here, they aren't up there. And I put them down, and then they're up on the screens to the side. So that's the clue for the virtual folks um, listening in today as to why we keep telling people that. Because we'll be reminding people that for a little bit as we are adjusting to new ways of being. So welcome today. Please prepare your hearts and minds for worship. We are glad that you are here.
Please stand as you are able for our call to worship and remain standing for our hymn of praise. Sing to our God a new song. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it.
Now, Evie has been ready for baptism for a while. Just like Levi a couple of weeks ago, Evie had been planning to be baptized last year, but then COVID changed those plans. But she has been ready and she has been excited and she's been talking with Pastor Christina about what baptism means to her and how it can be a part of her life as well. Also, she had hoped that her grandfather, Bob Johnston, the Reverend Bob Johnston, would be able to baptize her, but again, COVID got in the way and Reverend Johnston is thankfully recovering from a long bout with COVID-19. But we have a word from him today that Evie's father, Chad, will share a letter of blessing that will be a blessing to Evie on this day and really a blessing for all of us that we can share. Chad, share now these words from your papa. To my darling granddaughter, Evie, I rejoice in this significant time in your life. The truth of the matter is that I have always taken great joy in you from the moment you entered this world. You quickly became a child who could win a person's heart and the kindness and care you have shown to others reflects a depth of compassion that others have yet to reach. Even more, you have shown great interest in the God who made you, the Savior who gave his life for you, and the Spirit who has been active in your life from the moment you were born. Now on this day, you make public your desire to follow Jesus always and to reflect him in all of your life's journey. Your Nana and I could not be more proud of you. I do want to say to you that as significant as this moment is, you have a lifetime to live out this journey. The experience of baptism reflects a death to an old way of life and a resurrection to a new life, where your Lord is the one who guides you, helps you know what is important, warns you of temptation and danger in the depths of your heart, and strengthens you for the challenges before you. You will find in your Bible words of life that as Psalm 119.105 says, provides a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. You have already experienced what it means to follow Jesus in your home and among your friends. At times that will be easy and at other times will require prayer. Do not hesitate to pray and never feel that you have to somehow get on God's good side to answer your prayer. Present him your needs and trust him to answer in the best way, a way which may not always be what you expected. And with the Apostle Paul in Romans 16, Romans 1.16, never be ashamed of your relationship with our Lord Jesus, though times will surely come when others may ridicule such faith. Gently, lovingly, with care and compassion, reflect our Lord in all that you do, and know that he will use your words and actions to change people's lives. Follow Jesus wherever he goes, and know that he will take you to those who hurt, hunger, and long for wrongs to be righted. Be our Lord's instrument of peace, bringing his hand to a hurting world. On this day of baptism, I rejoice, dear granddaughter. I love you with all my heart and pray that God will use you greatly today and all the days of your life. What a fun and special message that you were able to receive and we were able to hear. And so I would like to take a moment and uh, recognize uh, Evie's family that is here today and uh, family friends, as well as those that are joining on the live stream. Let's uh, uh, welcome them. You're welcome to stand as we recognize you and, uh, and celebrate that Evie has come into this special moment together. And on the live stream, we're glad that a, a proud uh, uh, grandma on this Mother's Day, as well as a proud mom on this Mother's Day, and many family members and friends are watching uh, on live stream. I'm glad that you all can be a part of this special moment for Evie.
Thank you, Will. Well, Evie also has a favorite verse. We got to hear a couple from your papa. Uh, the book of Deuteronomy has a good verse, doesn't it? From uh, chapter 36, verse 6, which I think is a good uh, book to read. Uh, you may remember that Deuteronomy is from a time when, when God's people were getting ready to go on this new journey into the promised land. And as you're getting ready to go on this new journey of faith, you do so with these words from Deuteronomy. Be strong and bold. Have no fear or dread of them, because it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. What a great verse, Evie. What a great promise, isn't it? And a great baptism verse to remember that God will not fail you or leave you. And so now I have a question for you. With this verse on your heart, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then upon proclamation of your faith in Christ, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, buried with him into death, raised to walk in newness of life. And so it is with newness of life that we all celebrate this day. You are invited to stand now as we sing a word of celebration, as we are excited for Evie's new decision.
stay standing because in just a moment we're going to be passing the peace, but just as a reminder, and if you are in the sanctuary for the first time this week, a couple of rules. Number one and hardest of all, stay put. We can't, in the before times, when we got to the passing of the peace, this congregation looked like somebody flipped the switch on a blender and just, <laughs> and we can do that in our hearts, but we cannot do that with our feet. So please stay where you are, and just to review your options, friendly wave, Pastor Matt's holy jazz hands, Pastor Christina's big Jesus circle, is that right? Yeah, close enough. Okay, um, one that the chancel choir always preferred, the peace sign, and the one that several of you came up with last week, shouting across the sanctuary, which was somewhat heartwarming, but please also don't forget those who are worshiping online with us, and if you can shoot a text in those online in the chat, please find your own unique and safe way to pass the peace of Christ. The Lord be with you. Also Lift up your hearts. Lift up the Lord. Go. <laughs> Go, but stay. <laughs> right. standing please for the reading of the gospel from Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14 the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to the heaven, 
but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Now you can be seated. Thank you. 
Thank you for bringing us into a time of prayer and reminding us of the love of a parent and the love of our heavenly parent, our Father, Mother God. We have our churches, local, national, and international to remember today, and also want to say a word on this Mother's Day that we are here for you and we see you, whether you are rejoicing or struggling, grieving or somewhere in between on this day, we acknowledge that Mother's Day is full of a lot of emotions and we want to leave space here for you today in this prayer to express that to God, to know that you are not alone, your heavenly parent is with you, that families come in all shapes and sizes and look differently, and your worth is not defined by that, but by God, and we are all God's child. So let's come to a time of unison confession, silent time, and then we will pray together. Loving God, we have not loved you or each other with our whole hearts. Forgive us, we pray, and lead us towards wholeness, that we may be filled with your joy. Hear the good news. Christ loves us so much that he laid his life down for us and calls us his friends. If we can forgive our friends, how much more does Christ forgive you? Let's pray. Faithful Lord, Mother in God, we come to you as your beloved children and we bring our whole selves before you today full of joys and sorrows, hopes and pains, knowing that you can hold it all in your tender and loving hands. Today brings a unique mix of emotions as we remember mothers and acknowledge the complexities, joys, and sorrows of this day. We thank you for new life and new mothers and ask for wisdom and energy as they navigate motherhood and all that brings. We ask that you hold and comfort those grieving mothers, those grieving children through miscarriage, through infertility, through loss of life that happened way too soon. We ask that you surround them in your love today and know that you are with them. We ask that you help us see the world and families as big and broad and diverse that families are more than blood, but there are chosen families, adopted families, and the family of God that we are all a part of. We ask that you be with those who are separated from families today because of pandemic, because of COVID regulations, because of strife, because of discomfort and dispute and division in families. And we ask that you watch over all, that even when they cannot be together, they know that they are together through your spirit and remain loved and whole. 
thank you for this day where we can come together. Please continue to keep us safe and secure. Keep us united as the church virtually and together and thank you for your love that supports and comforts us all. Thank you for your son, for faithfulness, and for the love of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. sentences of stewardship this morning, um, I got to thinking about what happened in my life this week. Um, as probably all of you know, I work for the KU School of Music, and I have been in person on campus since school started back again in August, which that far out from having a vaccine was kind of a scary thing to do. But I have to say, KU did everything they could in their power, physically, with rules and regulations and mask mandates and re 
configuring classrooms and the CV key app that we had to use to check into the buildings, all the things that an institution could do to keep its people safe, they did. I found the one flaw that I thought in that whole process would be that it relies solely on personal integrity. Because as I check in in the morning with my CV key app, wearing my mask that I put on in the car and wear outside across the street from my parking space, there's nobody standing looking over my shoulder making sure I'm doing those things. I'm doing those things for myself. And we had to rely on that. And if you remember back in September and August when schools were reopening, universities, many of them, some of them didn't make it to opening day. Some of them didn't make it past the first weekend. And they sent their students home. I thought we'd go a little longer. I thought we'd make it till the 21st day because we count students on the 20th day. And I figured we'd all go home on the 21st day. And here's the thing, we didn't. Last Thursday was our last day of class, two semesters in person. Now, it's not to say that we didn't have our ups and downs. We had COVID in our building, we had COVID in our school, we had COVID across campus, but we had plans in place to manage it, and people did what they needed to do in order to be as safe as they could be in this time. So I thought about that, and I thought about that in terms of stewardship, and basically, Stewardship for us is using that personal integrity. What we have came from God and needs to be returned. And nobody, well maybe except God, is looking over our shoulder and making sure that we're doing that. It's our obligation, our right, our joy to take care of our stewardship. And when we do that, we are able to do things like we've seen this church do for the last 62 weeks to stay vibrant and alive and open. And so I invite you now to a time of stewardship. It looks different than it did. You have online options through Breeze, which I use personally, and it is a Breeze um, to do. If you prefer in-person giving, if you are in person in church, we have plates at the door on your way out. I, I strongly invite you to place your offering there. You can always mail a check to the church, make arrangements with Jenny or a member of the staff to get your, your stewardship in place and in line. And so at this time, I'd invite you to a time of offertory.
us pray. I'm not usually that eager to pray publicly, so this one must be good. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for providing what we need and for providing the means to return to you what you need to do for us again. In your name we pray. Amen. So it is time for the first in-person children's time. I am very excited. Um, so if you want to come forward, wear your mask, and there are some dots on the floor, and you can pick a spot to sit on. If you want to stay in your seat, that's also fine. And for those of you at home, I'm excited that you're here too. I haven't gotten to talk to anybody that actually can look at me though, so it's pretty exciting. This is the first time that's happened. So I've been reading about the scripture for this week, and there was one verse and really one word that stuck out to me that I want to talk to you guys about today. So it says, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus. And so I started thinking, what does it look like to put your faith in Jesus? Because I think faith is more than just saying, I believe in Jesus. That's a great start, but I think that faith is living like you believe in Jesus. And so I wonder what that looks like. I know one person who she wakes up every morning, and the first thing she says is, good morning, God. Thank you for a new day. And some people, and she, she says, a new beautiful day. And sometimes it's raining, and other people are like, really? It's a new beautiful day? She's like, yes, it's a new beautiful day. And so that's the way that she shows her faith in God. Maybe it's by reminding yourself that God loves you. Even when someone's mean to you at school or says something that isn't true, you can kind of be like, you know what? That isn't true. God loves me. Or maybe it's by showing God's love to other, someone else, someone that's alone at school and sitting next to them, inviting them to play at recess, checking in on someone that needs it. There are lots of ways to show faith in God, no matter what age you are. And Evie did something today to show her faith in God by getting baptized. And so congratulations and welcome, sister, to the church in this official way. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that there are so many ways that we can show our faith and love for you. Please guide us to live lives that reflect that we believe in Jesus, that we know that Jesus loves us and so we can love others. Show us how to do that every day. Amen. Okay, thanks for coming. You can go back to your seats. This morning, I want to read a passage from the book of Galatians. I want to do it a little bit differently. Normally, I read from the NRSV. Today, I'm going to read from the Message Translation. Some of you will know that that is a, a translation uh, primarily uh, worked by a man named Eugene Peterson. And uh, Dr. Peterson, as he was uh, considering the book of Galatians, thought, ah, 
none of the, none of the, uh, uh, the translations that, that we're used to reading from really capture the emotion that Paul was really after, uh, it seemed to be after, in the book of Galatians. And so he uh, began with this book, this book of the Bible, and uh, translated it in more contemporary language. And so we will read and hear now these words from uh, the book of Galatians in the message uh, translation. And uh, you can hear the emotion coming through from the apostle. <clears throat> Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision. Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was swept along in the charade. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. If you, a Jew, live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs in Jerusalem, what right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. I would be rebuilding the same old barn. Oh, excuse me. Have some of you noticed that we are not yet perfect? No great surprise, right? And are you ready to make the accusation that since people like me, who go through Christ in order to get things right with God, aren't perfectly virtuous, Christ must therefore be an accessory to sin? The accusation is frivolous. If I was trying to be good, I would be rebuilding the same old barn that I tore down, and I would be acting as a charlatan. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a, quote, law man, so that I could be God's man. Christ's life showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I've been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your own good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back on that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to repudiate God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Amen. And amen. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart 
be acceptable and pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. On Monday of this past week, in the middle of a sentence, I lost my place. Just right there, going along in the middle of a conversation, and zip, no idea where I was going. It wasn't the first time. On Tuesday, I was driving here to the church from our house, and I was halfway there before I realized I didn't have my church keys. So I had to turn around and drive back to the house, and on my way back to the church, I realized I didn't have my mask. And so I turned around and drove back again. On Wednesday, I was reading a book for a study group, and I had to, to reread the same page two or three times. I, I found that it takes me much longer to read things, and when I do, I retain uh, much less information than I used to. On Thursday, I thought it was Friday. I got ready to do all of my Friday things until somebody said, it, it's, it's not Friday yet, you need to do your Thursday things, because it's Thursday. On Friday, the real Friday, I realized that for the third week in a row, my to-do list was woefully unaccomplished. My list of phone calls to make, my projects to finish, my emails to return seemed as long as when I started the list in the first place. And by the end of the week, I asked, how is it that even now, as we're starting to go back to what's supposed to feel like normal, I still can't get my act together? I'm still as captured by inefficiency as I was when the pandemic began or right there in the middle of it. Shouldn't I have figured this stuff out by now? What is wrong with me? Well, it turns out that it's actually what's wrong with all of us. Krista Tippett on her popular radio show and podcast, On Being, has talked about this question recently. Uh, she interviewed Christine Runyon, a clinical psychologist, about the ways that our brains and our bodies are reacting to a global pandemic. In short, I'm coming and going. Is that good? All right. So Christine Runyon is a clinical psychologist, and she's talking about how indeed our brains and our nervous systems are reacting to this global pandemic. Basically, our, our nervous systems are breaking. <laughs> Um, Runyon talks about the fact that uh, the, the human nervous system is supposed to, to kick in uh, whenever something bad starts to happen to us uh, into reaction mode. We call it fight-flight mode, right? So either we're fighting or we're fleeing, uh, one thing or the other, when we're presented with this dangerous stimulus. And Runyon suggests that this is good and this is healthy. This is exactly what, what keeps us alive as a species. We wouldn't be as alive as a species if it weren't for this fight-and-flight mode. But the fight-flight level of nervous system arousal is not something we're supposed to do for 14 months in a row. It's not something we're supposed to continue doing again and again and again. Even if it seems like we haven't been at that, that same level of, of panic-level reactivity, our brains have been, our nervous systems think that we have, stuck in this fight-flight spin. Runyon suggests that even when we do things to numb ourselves from that, uh, maybe sometimes turn to alcohol or turn to drugs or turn to Netflix, our brains are still in high arousal. We are still in an active flight response. The neurotransmitters and hormones in our brains and our bodies are still firing on all cylinders, even as we binge our favorite TV show with a 
glass of wine. Running suggests that our response to this is often the question that I asked myself last week. Well, what's wrong with me? What have I done wrong? Like I'm the only one dealing with this. I'm somehow the only one in the world who can't get my acts together. Well, Running says that the response of the brain to this fight-flight arousal that doesn't stop, this is normal. This is the way the brain wears down in the midst of a pandemic in the midst of a, what she calls a species-level trauma that we've been experiencing. When this happens to our brain, these are, these are the predictable behavior patterns, she says. Memory problems, short fuses, fractured productivity, sudden drops in despair. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe you're all's weeks as well. And this what's wrong with me feeling is exacerbated by the fact that now we're starting to get vaccines. Now we're supposed to, supposed to be normalizing our behavior. Now it's pretty outside, right? We think we should be back to normal, but we're not. And so we blame ourselves and we beat ourselves up. And we find that we are blaming the midst, in the midst of what is a hard enough time. We add guilt and shame. Or sometimes, to make ourselves feel better, we'll find somebody else to blame, won't we? Our brain's natural response of, well, what's wrong with me? Turns to, well, what's wrong with those people? And so we found ourselves in these last months galvanized and isolated and afraid and angry. All right, preacher, what's any of this have to do with the book of Galatians? I'm glad you asked. It's actually more than you realize. As we start to, to open up and understand what's going on in Galatians, we, we see that there's uh, some similar uh, journeys going on here. Last week we read in the book of Acts how the church leaders in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas and Peter and James, were all of one accord uh, regarding the, the coming of the, the Gentile Jews into the church, right? Well, maybe not so much. Uh, Galatians tells a little bit of a different story. Uh, by the time we read Galatians, we see that maybe Luke has told a very different version, and, and maybe that one accord isn't quite so one accordy, uh, or maybe that one accord lasted about 15 minutes, and now they're back to the old tricks. Remember those folks from last uh, this week, those those certain individuals from Acts 15. Well, they didn't go away. They continued to, to visit these different churches. They continued to tell all of the different Gentile Christians, look, you're doing it all wrong. They lived by their own rigid rules of circumcision and dietary law and worship. And Last week, we read that they had been in Antioch, but now they're in all the other churches as well. And as the, the church leaders try to figure out what to do with these insider uh, problem creators, apparently their solution didn't work. At least not in Paul's eyes, because as we open up the book of Galatians, uh, he is uh, continuing to, to see these folks coming from uh, outside of his community, outside of his churches, and come and make the rounds to his communities, his congregations, and tell the Gentile Christians, look what you're doing wrong. Of course, Paul is livid. But maybe he's even angrier, not just at those certain individuals, but at the leaders of the church, folks like Peter, folks like James, who fall, Paul feels like is going back on their decision from Acts 15. And in fact, in one instance, Peter visits one of these churches, 
And he's used to, to eating with the Gentile Christians, but he refuses to do so because he notices who's looking over his shoulder. Paul blows up here in the book of Galatians. This is cutting off at the knees both his ministry and his message, and so now he has to write this letter to the Galatians to tell them why he's personally authoritative in these matters, to tell him why he has to make this, this theological case once again for inclusion. Which is what we just read in chapter 2. Paul is making this argument for this big tent inclusion of the Gentiles. Now, ironically, this passage is often used to practice exclusion, specifically exclusion of Jewish people. This passage has been used really over the last couple thousand years for some really violent anti-Semitism, a way to exclude and even attack and assault and kill Jewish people. Christians have read these words and have said, well, look, look how wrong Jews are. Paul's practice of his Jewish faith was, was rigid, it was exclusive, so all Jews must be the same. All Jews must be bad. And let me argue that well, it doesn't seem like that's what Paul's arguing here. It's not an interreligious point he's making to say all people of a certain religion are bad. Instead, it's a, it's a psychological one. Paul seems to be saying that all of us, Jews or Christians, are often guilty of prioritizing our own efforts before the work of a gracious God. Jewish prophets lamented this fact, right? We read in Amos uh, over and over again, all the, the prophets saying, well, I hate your festivals. That's not what I want when you don't do justice. Paul now in Galatians is lamenting the fact that Jewish Christians are doing it with their insistence on human actions, such as circumcision or, or dietary restrictions. And I would propose if Paul walked in here right now, he would lament that we do the same thing with our own assumptions, that, that praying the right prayer in the right way or showing up enough Sundays to church is what brings us into a loving relationship with God. Paul would be just as livid with us when we make our actions salvific. And so here in Galatians, Paul says that we, we focus on our actions. Instead of on God's actions in Christ, we make Jesus' life and death and resurrection irrelevant because what we're saying is implicitly or explicitly that our actions are really what makes God love us. That our behavior, our decision, is what brings us into a loving relationship with Christ. Paul's point loud and clear to Peter and James and the church of Galatia, everybody that can listen to him says this, it is not up to us. God's grace is all we need. Now, I'll be honest, this was a tough one for me. I've shared before that I am what I call a recovering perfectionist. Because deep down in the middle of my soul, I need to know that my actions solve all the problems of the world. It's all about me. It's all about what I do and have done or haven't done. Any other recovering perfectionists in the room? But Paul, according to some, a recovering perfectionist of his own, is saying that our actions, our words, even our prayers don't fix the world because that's God's job. 
And Paul is saying here that when we allow proponents of this, this works righteousness, of any, of any creed or any brand or any tribe, to talk us back into perfectionism, regardless of what law we use, we have said that the death and resurrection of Jesus is null and void. The point that Paul is making is not that all Christians get it right and all Jews get it wrong. It is a psychological point that any people who say they are committed to a God of grace, well, maybe we should act like it. Not keep score. Not bow to the watchdogs that Paul talks about. Live life like we were created to be recipients of grace. In short, Paul takes 11 verses to say the same thing summarized by author Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He says these words, Grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Let me say that again. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Let me say it one more time, because this is the most important thing that I can say today or any day from this pulpit. Grace means that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more, and there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Because friends, in the middle of a global pandemic, hear me loud and clear, in a world that constantly makes us ask the question, well, what is wrong with me? In a world that, that turns our nervous systems into scrambled eggs and regularly makes us doubt our worthiness. In a world that, that demands that we live up to, to some imagined standard of perfection that's constantly changing depending on who we talk to, exacerbating our own guilt and doubt and shame. In a world that is galvanized and splintered and suspicious of the other, whoever that other is, Paul's words echo through the generation. We are set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. Nothing we can do. After, after Krista Tippett and Christine Runyon spent a good half an hour talking about how the pandemic is making us all feel as though we're doing it all wrong, Runyon turned to the topic of grace. Runyon is not a theologian, nor is she a preacher, but it is fascinating to me that the clinical perspectives that she shares sure sound a lot like Paul's message to the Galatians. She doesn't bring up Jesus or any explicitly theological language, but she says that our bodies and our brains are programmed to be recipients and conveyors of grace. The scientist is telling us the same thing Paul did. <laughs> 1,800 years before Sigmund Freud or, or modern psychology ever became a thing. We are created to be God's children. We are created to receive grace. We are created to give ourselves and one another that grace. And so I'm going to end the sermon today a little bit differently. This is actually uh, one of Dr. Runyon's suggestions uh, for recentering during these scattered days. Now, she doesn't describe it as such, but it sounded to me like an invitation to prayer. 
an opportunity to put ourselves and our bodies and our minds and our souls into a, a position and a posture of prayer. And so I would invite you, if you're here in the sanctuary today, uh, to put both feet on the floor and sit up uh, nice and straight in your chair. If you're at home in your comfy chair uh, watching on the live stream, do the same thing. Make sure both of your feet can be on the, the ground. Now Runyon would suggest and suggested in the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, light, or the uh, 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 radio show that, that, that a lot of the stuff that she's about to say uh, is going to sound kind of new agey, right? It's going to sound kind of foo-foo, right? It doesn't, but this is hard science. This is what our bodies and our brains need. I'd offer it's pretty good theology, too. Sit in the chair so that you can put your feet flat on the floor. You can close your eyes if you'd like to shut out distractions, but you don't have to. You can keep them open. Just make sure that your heels can touch the floor. Running suggests that the posture of the pandemic has been to be on our toes, ready to jump. Instead, put our heels to the floor, press them to the floor, not the posture of fight or flight. Instead, the, the posture, according to, to running, of, of being held. Imagine yourself in that chair, being held by the one who made you and the one who loves you. Receive that bodily experience of grace held by God. Now, place your hand on your heart, if you feel comfortable doing so. Uh, a lot of us really miss hugs these days, don't we? We miss physical touch. We, we, we miss that, that connection to others, but we can stay connected to ourselves and, and to our Creator by feeling the warmth and beating of the lifeblood inside of us. Hold there for a few moments as you notice your breath. God has created you. God reaches out in love. Feel the lifeblood of your creator coursing through your body. Finally, exhale. Running another brain scientist suggests that in a panic we inhale a lot and we keep breathing in and in and in, but we don't remember to Let that air back out. To exhale. She says a long, slow exhale is a way of emptying the body and the soul of panic and anger and frustration that so many of us feel. And so for a few moments, simply exhale. Breathe in as you need to also. But with your feet on the floor, held in your chair, hand on your heart, breathe out. Feel God surrounding you. You're invited to slowly return to the room, whether you're watching on the live stream or here in the sanctuary. This is an exercise that can be done whenever you feel like you're starting to lose control, when your, your fight and your flight are overwhelming. Again, an opportunity for prayer. 
an opportunity to see God at work in our bodies, a reminder that we are held, that we are loved, that it's not up to us and the things that we do to make the world perfect, that a perfect and loving God holds us with arms of love. Let us pray. God, we have lived through so many storms. We have felt the thunder and the lightning from the outside and on the inside. Grant us now the peace of a quiet, bluebird morning that we might find in you a God of grace. And remind us once again, there is nothing we can do to take that grace from us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, Evie has shown the way. She has shown us what it looks like to, to reenact that, that drama of grace, to be buried in sin and raised to walk in newness of life. If you're ready to make the same decision, if you're ready to say, I want to come and, and be baptized too, you're welcome to come here in this physical space. You're welcome to, to fill out the form on the live stream so that we know that you're making a decision. Maybe to, to join this church, to join this congregation as we together do the work of enacting and ennobling grace. Whatever your response would be as we sing our final hymn, you're invited to come.
You may be seated. As a reminder for those here in this physical space, here in a moment, as the uh, postlude is playing, uh, we will uh, dismiss uh, by row. And so we'll begin in the back and uh, we'll do row at a time. Uh, again, if you bring your uh, check, you can drop it in the offering plates on the way out. We have an exception for that today. Uh, I want to invite Evie and her family and uh, extended family and friends today to go out first so that uh, when you all head out and uh, uh, say a word at coffee and at snacks uh, out on the, uh, the, the front porch today, that Evie and her family will already be out there. So you all head on out there, uh, and then we'll uh, uh, have you guys uh, a part of our uh, celebration because we are thankful uh, for Evie. Normally we bring Evie up to the front, and uh, we can do hands and uh, handshakes and hugs, but uh, here in COVID time we'll do it a little bit differently. So we'll uh, give you all a chance to, to say something. And if you're on the chat today, now is a great time to say a special word to Evie. We'll make sure that she gets those uh, well wishes to her so that we can uh, understand um, what celebration looks like today. Uh, a few more announcements as they make their way out. Uh, remember to sign up for the, the Home Run 5K. Uh, that's coming up here in a couple of weeks for, uh, for Family Promise. Um, remember a couple of big Earthworks uh, events coming up this week. So the blue team has an outing on the 14th, uh, an agape meal on the 15th. And so this will be a virtual agape meal. Uh, the orange team, uh, helping us deal with food and water, have, have talked a lot uh, over these last months about uh, food waste. And so what we're going to do this coming um, Saturday night on the 15th is, uh, is what Brandon calls his rando Calrissian pasta uh, and sauce. And so it'll be a chance to take all those random things that you have in your, uh, whatever, in your pantry or in your fridge or whatever, and you can put them together into your, your sauce. Uh, and so we'll have a, a chance of a, a virtual. Uh, be sure to, to check on the newsletter this week. You'll get the link for that so that we can do that uh, agape meal together. Now as we uh, go from this place, a word of blessing and sending. Go now with those arms of grace surrounding you, understanding that you are being held so that perhaps you can hold another. Go now in that promise. Go now in that peace. Amen.